This is episode 177 of Alohomora for February 13th, 2016. everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Alohomora. I am Rosie Morris. And I'm Charlotte Graham. And I'm Kat Miller. And our special guest host today is Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yay. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, I am Rebecca. I am a Ravenclaw. Very excited. Oh. And um, I'm on the forums. I'm Rebecca the Ravenclaw. Very... I was just going to say, you must be Rebecca the Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah, very non-creatively. No, um, it's cute. That's a great name. Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> With everybody's like cool, creative ones, I'm like, why did I pick that? But I'm committed now. Um, what else? I'm in college right now. I'm, I live in Minnesota uh, in oh. the U.S. And... Um, um, my Harry Potter story, I guess. I was very, very late to the party. Um, and I was one of those people who was like, I am way too cool for Harry Potter. So I got the book when I was like, mm, the first book, like 12. So that's like the perfect time. And I was like, this is dumb. No, thank you. <laughs> Threw it in my closet and did not look at it for years and years. And then finally, I was sitting with my best friend um, in high school. I was like 16, 17, and watching um, Order the Phoenix, which is like the best movie to come in when you have no idea what's <laughs> going on. So I was talking with my um, best friend and I was like, who's that? Who's that? Why, why, why? And she's like, you need to go read the books. So I finally went home, dug out my Sorcerer's Stone copy and read them and I haven't looked back. Yay, congratulations. <laughs> and um, we do have one other new voice on the show today and that is our host who's filling in for our regular panel, uh, Charlotte. Hello. And Charlotte, um, yeah, tell our listeners a bit about yourself. Well, I am thrilled to finally be on a MuggleNet podcast generally, in Alohomora in particular. I've been a listener since the start of university, which probably doesn't sound like that long, but I am almost 30, so it has been quite a while. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess a decade of listening to these amazing podcasts, and I'm really psyched to finally be on and for a chapter of a book that I love so much. I am also a Ravenclaw, but I don't have a cool alliterative name like Rebecca, and I refuse to take the Pottermore <laughs> test just in case it tells me I'm not a Ravenclaw because it's like canon, right? Like the Pottermore test is essentially canon about your own life, and I refuse to accept that I'm potentially not a Ravenclaw, so <laughs> that's my deal. That's where I'm at in life. <laughs> it's supposedly canon. I mean, Yeah, I, I just saying. took the new test, and... I, I mean, I got, I took the old test. I was Ravenclaw, according to old Pottermore. I was very excited about this. And I just took the new test, and I am now a Slytherin. The new test Those two go hand in hand quite often, <laughs> I find. I was like, what? No. But I, I don't, was I just feeling extra Slytherin-y that day? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But. I wouldn't take it as an insult. We know the Slytherins can be Definitely. okay people. Yeah, I, I. I kind of am of the opinion that we all have all four houses and yeah. they just show each other, show themselves at certain times and yeah. For sure. But, I would agree yeah. with that. 
So I, I guess word to the wise, maybe just be happy with whatever house you get sorted in the first time. So. Or be like me, live in denial and never take the test. That's my <laughs> advice. <laughs> that works too. Well, since we've been talking about sorting and all that stuff and uh, Slytherins, there's a very big Slytherin in this chapter, which is going to be Deathly Hallows 26, Gringotts. We finally get into Bellatrix's vault. So be sure to read that chapter before listening to the episode for maximum enjoyment. But first of all, Kat, we've got some comments to recap from chapter 25, Shell Cottage. And there's so much going on in this chapter and the comments kind of reflected that. They went off on so many in so many different directions. But the first one I want to read is from How Am I Going to Translate This is the username. And the comment is, Eric mentioned that the Elder Wand was maybe bored being stuck in Dumbledore's tomb. If we go with the assumption that wands are at least partially sentient, and some wands are described as getting bored even when in use for not exciting tasks, then do other wands also get bored while being buried with their owners? If a wand's sentience is gone when you break it, is breaking a wand before it goes to the grave a way to prevent this boredom? We don't know if wands are usually broken when their owner is buried, but that question came to my mind during the discussion. This is a big question. What does everyone think? It, it is, actually. And when I read that one, I was trying to think of kind of the evidence we have in the series. And really, the only evidence we have of wands being broken is that story. I mean, the song that Hagrid sings, right? Yeah. With Slughorn. And Hagrid's Odo own Odo the hero. Right, but but he was, I mean, that's because he was kicked out of school, right? Yeah, but just kind and, of, yeah. And convicted. So the idea of, yeah, wands being broken with death and funerals, yeah. But the one, with the story, he says, like, Odo the hero, um... It's like they, his hat was turned inside out and his wand snapped in two, which was sad. <laughs> so is that, is that like because he died or did his wand snap and then he died afterwards? And then he died. Right. It's ambiguous, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel that's like a, a tradition they do for a funeral. Like, oh, and now you've died. So we'll snap your wand, especially because lots of people have hand-me-down wands. Yeah. Mm, that's true. So, like, uh, Neville, I mean, his dad isn't dead, but he has his wand. Right. And then I think Ron had Bill's wand to start with. Mm-hmm. Or Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, yeah. Yeah. Also, just the idea of being buried with a wand. You know, the the concept of grave goods has always been that, you know, you, you're buried with something that you're going to use in an afterlife. So for a wizard to be buried with his wand, it's going to be you know, the idea that the wizard will be using the wand in another life. So to break it first just seems more like a curse than a blessing. Um, it, it doesn't seem like it's a positive like thing. like an Egyptian tomb yeah. almost. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. The question of whether wands are partially sentient and whether they inherently really want to perform magic and that's kind of their driving aim if they have one is such a fascinating question because when this user poses this question about the idea that a wand might get bored what if your wand owner was still alive but they were just a super boring person like they only (laughs) ever use you for making cups of tea and you're just like there is a wand description like that yeah I can't remember which I'm one. suddenly oh. really sorry for oh. Percy Weasley's wand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. Oh. You just want to go out there and do a good Avada Kedavra and blow away the cobwebs. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a wand description that's like something like if if the wand is um, neglected or something, right? One more time, it might like explode in their hand. Jeez. Yeah, I do remember seeing something about that. Hmm. But I would say that, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's so far-fetched to think that wands could get bored being buried with their owners. But maybe the life force within the wand dies when the owner dies, at least a little bit. I guess it raises the question of, yeah, of do they exist? Do they exist as almost beings before their owner gets them. Do you know what I mean? Because when Harry goes to Ollivanders, there's all these wands and boxes and he takes one out and it's like, yep, I'm yours. Um, but what did that wand do before it met Harry? Like what was its... Right, is that like when it's born? Kind of? Yeah. Oh, I guess it's kind of the idea is wands as soulmates, isn't it? You you know, if the wand is choosing you, Aww. it has to be some kind of connection that it's it's seeing or seeking um so yeah it's whether they're maybe ones can have multiple soulmates but a wizard can only have one that kind of thing i don't know but wizards also can have multiple wands but there would be like the first so, like, one would presumably be this like the the best for them if it's chosen them first oh this is totally analogy it for really love. Is. i was going to say this is like how, how everyone feels about boyfriends know. right at least we've not got <laughs> noah here anymore because noah would turn it into something else <laughs> he really would he would hmm it's a good question to ponder though yeah. i like that that's a, that was a good comment yeah uh our next one comes from dora nympha who left a lot of great comments on this discussion that i really enjoyed uh, she or he says, but what are the rare things that can destroy Horcruxes? Basilisk venom and fiend fire are the only things we know of. What else? Couldn't they throw them beyond the veil at the ministry? Get a Dementor to swallow it? For real, what else kills Horcruxes? And why aren't they contemplating them, at least? <laughs> I love the idea of a Dementor swallowing a Horcrux. It's always been one of the ideas as to why the Dementors have been so attracted to Harry, because not only has he got one soul to eat, but he's got two. Oh, right. Yes. He's extra yummy. <laughs> okay, so maybe that's not totally out of the realm of possibility since Dumbledore, I mean, Dumbledore, <laughs> since <laughs> Dementors like souls. Do you think hmm. that, is this one of those things in the books where she really needed there to not be too many ways that a task could be accomplished? Because... It's a fiendishly difficult task. And one of those books where you're kind of glad that smartphones and Google weren't a thing yet because otherwise <laughs> you jump on your smartphone and you're like, yo, Google, how do I destroy a Horcrux? And like there's 50,000 results. There is for sure some fan art about that where it's like if the trio had Google, the book would be over in like five seconds. Who is Tom Riddle? Oh, okay, wow. that guy. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> right, yeah, they just Google everything. <laughs> And surely yep. this is something that Voldemort would have researched in some way as well, because he would have wanted to know how safe this was, don't you think? I don't know if he did or not, because he has a basilisk. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> like, that seems like a silly... <laughs> I mean, he didn't put the Horcrux next to the basilisk, but he has one. Considering like... how difficult it is to find information on how to create them, I think finding information on how to destroy them is probably equally as difficult 
Um, Probably more yeah. so. They, I think they're just, they're so rare, they're so unlikely to appear that people wouldn't bother kind of writing about them so much. And really, a horcrux is a pretty personal thing in general. So one, you probably wouldn't be telling a whole lot of people that you have them. And two, even if you did, like, if you found out that your neighbor Tom had a horcrux, you'd be like, oh, all right. <laughs> Would you? you know, you're not Wouldn't necessarily you going to set seriously, out Seriously, you murdered it. someone? Keep away from me. Why are you living next to me? <laughs> well, right, but you're not going to set out to destroy it necessarily. No. And maybe you don't know that a horcrux is made by a murder. True. That's true. Because you haven't been I able to read the books. The, the information must be in that book that Hermione gets uh, towards the start of this book where she's, it's, what's it called? Yeah, um, well, she says it's vile, right? Yeah. So. yeah. And it has, like, um, because where else would she have learned about Fiendfire? Because she knew what it was called. Well, it's Hermione. (laughs) That's true. She's read every (laughs) book. Um, I just, I think there probably are more ways, but I think um, Joe did not want to take the time to think of them (laughs) all and worry about them all and be like, oh, here's another thing that I have to invent. Because just for a, a writing perspective, that takes even more yeah. time and this book I is think, already pretty doesn't long. Hermione give us a little bit of description as to something like um, the only things that can destroy them are things that cause absolute permanent damage things that cannot be healed so that's why basilisk that, so. that's why basilisk venom works because you know the only thing that can cure it is phoenix tears and they're incredibly rare fiend fire can't be stopped because it's so incredibly destructive that it kind of kills everything in its path um, so like you, you'd have to have ultimate destruction in order to kill the Horcrux. So throwing it into the veil at the Ministry, then? Presumably, yeah. Yes or no? I mean, we know so little about the veil that, you know, if it's a, if it's a portal to death, then definitely that kind of, that piece of the soul will automatically go into death and therefore be killed. Um, if it's something a little bit more in between, who knows what will happen, but... Um, Again, you've got the kind of question of what is the difference between life and a soul and that kind of thing, and we don't know. Also, they probably wanted to like really make sure that it worked and not just be like, "Well, hope yeah. it worked." They threw it in the veil. <laughs> That's true. Otherwise, who knows? Then you could. This is possibly super insensitive, but oh, <laughs> it's like where I live. Um, but do you think that Harry would have been really reticent to just like use the veil at the ministry as basically like a trash shoot? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like he would have really. I feel like it would have been really traumatic for him to be yeah. like, "Oh well." I don't think he ever wants to see the veil again. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's yeah. not going to go there. Yeah, to be like, here, serious <laughs> catch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, we're in that kind of show. I'm gonna get hate mail for that one. <laughs> no, it was great. We're bad people. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> next comment, maybe. <laughs> Speaking of serious, um, I actually I loved this next comment, which is from uh, Spinner's End, and they said, "I think the difference between Harry and Sirius. Uh, this was when we were talking about Harry being as reckless a godfather as te- to Teddy Lupin as Sirius had been to him." So I think the difference is that Sirius tended to be reckless just because there wasn't really a good reason for it. But Harry, whilst definitely still reckless, mostly has good reasons for his crazy ideas. And part of me wonders why Lupin asked Harry to be godfather to his child. Lupin had to know that Harry has a very real chance of dying. It is, in fact, a very likely outcome. 
Does Lupin feel like Harry, the single most wanted man in the wizarding world, has a better chance of surviving a showdown with Voldemort than he does? Which is a really good question that I think a couple of commenters alluded to about whether Joe knew that she had to create an or knew that she wanted to create an orphan at the end of Deathly Hallows, and if so, whether Teddy, who's this quite fandom beloved character, I think, was almost a necessary plot device in that she had to give a child to someone, and that Lupin and Tonks were the people who made the most sense, and then she had to orphan that child and make Harry its godparent, and whether part of the reason that Lupin making Harry the godfather is simply as a plot device, or whether there's more reasons behind it, like, for example, Lupin being in denial that Harry's about to die or trying to give him something to live for or trying to stop him going off and doing something half-baked, as he often does. Um, What do you guys think? It definitely gives him a little bit more responsibility. to what extent? I don't really know, because he still does all his crazy stuff anyway. Um... I think Lupin has no friends, <laughs> um, as one thing. Oh, oh, um, because, but, but like Harry is the only link left to Lupin's happiest moments, his happiest moments in his life, you know. Um, and the fact that Harry was the one that talked him into going back to Tonks... Um, when you know and 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 kind of created that renewed happiness um i i do think that lupin kind of sees that as harry's james side coming through and a reminder of the man that harry can potentially be in the links back to his family and the links back to lupin's childhood and all that kind of thing um so i do think it makes a lot of sense for lupin to pick harry um and I also do agree that he he would think, you know, if anyone's going to survive this, it's going to be Harry. And if he doesn't survive it, then at least, you know, if Teddy survives, then he'll know that he had a link to Harry and can have that kind of role model through being the chosen one, all that kind of thing. Um, I do see where Spinner's End is coming from, though, because if Lupin, you know, let's pretend we're Lupin and we're thinking about, OK, I'm going to be a dad. I need a godfather. Fine. Um, I might die. My wife might die. Oh, let's pick Harry Potter, the kid who's most definitely the chosen one and is 17, 18, sorry, 17. No, he's and, 17. Um, you know, is, you know, just going up against the darkest, most evilest wizard of, you know, all time. Yeah, he'll be great. Let's Let's pick him. I feel like it's a little, I get it. Like he's putting a lot of faith in Harry and saying that he really truly believes that Harry's going to pull through, but it's slightly foolhardy because then what? Harry dies, then what? What's wrong? What happens to his kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Imagine that same scenario though, and then imagine he chose like Bill Weasley. How does Harry feel at that point? <laughs> like he already was really upset in Order of the Phoenix when Ron got chosen as a prefect. <laughs> Imagine now that he's like over overshadowed by somebody else and is not chosen as a godfather. But I don't think there's an expectation that Harry would become godfather, whereas there was an expectation where he that he would become prefect. I suppose. Yeah, Yeah, I can't see Harry being fussed over not being picked. Harry at this point is so single minded 
and so almost uncaring about almost everything else because he has this one thing and he knows at this point that he might die doing it I actually don't think he would have even really noticed like you know he's happy for Lupin in the moment he's overjoyed and then he never thinks of Teddy again that we know of until (laughs) of course he doesn't like I'm not criticizing him he's got some like stuff to be getting on with but it's not like this is something that's in the back of his mind all the time like oh I hope I'm going to be okay because I'm going to be this kid's godfather and it's really exciting and it might be because he's a 17 year old boy and it might be because of the tasks at hand and it might be because I don't know it hasn't really sunk into him I mean at that point he hasn't even met the baby yeah well, yeah. and also, I think that Harry is a little, um, I'm not sure ignorance is the right word, but... Naive? Um, yeah, in thinking that Lupin could possibly yeah. die. You know, mm. that's, that's probably not something that even enters his realm of thought. So. Also, traditionally, you would have more than one godparent. Like, if you're a girl, you have sure. two women and a man, and if you're a boy, you have two men and a woman, normally. Um, so it seems odd that there'd only be one godparent, especially if you're going to pick a 17-year-old boy. Um, well, who else is there? Any of Tonks' Because he's raised by Tonks' parents, right? You know, yeah. I said that Lupin has no friends, but he must have some friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, he lives a very, very sad, lonely life until Tonks comes along, which is why we love them, but still. I mean, I think that's kind of yeah. accurate. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. <laughs> oh, poor Lupin. How about McGonagall? She would be a good godmother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Caleb McGonagall. would love that. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> uh, thanks for all those comments. There's a lot more, actually a lot more, including things like Pygmy Path World Domination uh, being discussed over <laughs> at the website. Um, so head over there and check them out. It's alohamora.mugglenet.com. Sounds so much better in your beautiful <laughs> accent. <laughs> Either that or no one can understand me, one or the other. <laughs> no, it sounds really good. I'm pretty sure they can understand you. <laughs> and also over on alohamora.mugwinet.com, we have our podcast question of the week um, from last week. And we've got so many responses from you guys. I've just picked kind of a, a quick handful of different opinions. Um, before we get on to them, though, here is the, the question that we asked. We said that in this chapter, um, Bill Weasley correctly guesses that the trio have made a deal with Griphook and cautions Harry heavily to be careful. In light of Bill's excellent advice, should Harry be re-examining the plan that he has formed? Should he have entrusted Bill with the plan thus far and sought his unique perspective for an alternative? Or is Harry motivated by the desire to keep Bill and his family safe and resolve to accept the dangers that lie ahead? We started our previous comments with how am I going to translate this? We're going to start these ones with them as well. Um, The first comment we've got is, who is this Bill Weasley? Um, What makes him different to other people that the trio could have asked for help in their endeavours? He's not a guardian figure like Lupin. He knows that, and so he doesn't try to act like one. Since they first met right before the Quidditch World Cup, Bill has seen Harry grow up to do ridiculously dangerous stuff that most adults didn't have to face. Things like the Triwizard Tournament, dueling Voldemort, seeing Dumbledore die. You know, telling Harry no has never worked before, and Bill's number one life experience is being the older brother, so that's his forte. Looking out for Harry, Ron and Hermione, but not in order to stop them from doing what they have uh, what they have to do, 
Um, <laughs> but to equip them with what they need to do it. Bill's a curse breaker and has been since he was Harry's age. It's a very dangerous job on its own. He was doing said job abroad, far from his family, working together with witches and wizards from a different continent and also with lots of people from lots of different species. Keeping a straight head and making sure you've got all of your protective stuff and spells laid out before you do anything risky, but taking the risk away is what Bill has been doing. So he'd not tell Harry not to do something that involves risk, like collaborating with Griphook, but he tells them to know who he is dealing with. Bit of a long comment, but lots of lovely detail in there that really just shows how much we know about Bill without really knowing that much about Bill. I really like this comment. What do you right. guys think? He's definitely one of those. So I was I was thinking about a lot about this while you were reading, and and the relationship that Bill and Harry have is is pretty non-existent. I mean, they have two conversations or so until they show up at the at Shell Cottage in this last chapter. Um. I feel like Bill is never going to be one of those people, kind of like this comment says, that says, don't do that. But he's always going to be the person who wants to make sure you're doing it properly, <laughs> even if what you're doing is dangerous, which is pretty much exactly what how I'm going to translate this as saying, which I think is correct. I think it's correct. And Bill... um. You know, they, the question of the week asked, should the trio have told Bill the plan? First off, Harry would never, ever. He doesn't even tell McGonagall, for goodness sake. So why would he tell Bill? But I think even if they had told Bill for some weird reason, decided to tell him, he'd be like, well, good luck. Like, he's, he's not going to offer to go with them. He's not going to try and stop them. He has his own agenda, his own things going on. I feel like that's kind of the essence of Bill. Is that he focuses he on advice though? He might have been yeah. able to give some advice. Maybe he um, already has given advice. His advice was not to trust Griphook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that was pretty spot on. Maybe it's an unpopular opinion, or not unpopular, but controversial. I don't know, whatever opinion. But um, I actually think that I don't necessarily assume that Harry did the right thing and not letting people around him help like someone mentioned in the comments about the psychological development of teenagers and it was all quite hard and complicated but what I took away from it is that 17 year olds brains are still definitely developing and their idea of like grown-ups and authority and what they can and can't do and how much adults are just going to take away all of your fun and take the control off you that's still kind of a developing part of your brain and especially for Harry who's a really impulsive person and um and who still really does trust and believe Dumbledore that he needed to kind of keep it between them um but I actually think that possibly if he had entrusted more people I mean, it might have just been like deciding things by committee and it might have been really painful and terrible. But I just I just do think it's part of him being a 17-year-old boy and not realizing, oh, actually, people can help you. You don't know everything. And you know how teenagers kind of have that instinct to run away or to make extreme solutions to problems rather than... Um, like go to their parents and go, hey, I'm having this issue. What do you think? Um, and maybe Joe meant us to think that. Maybe Joe meant us to, I don't know, wonder why he didn't take on board all of this help that he was being offered from genuinely well-meaning people. Yeah, and I mean, he does eventually do that with Neville, right? Mm. Yeah, so, he, at the I very mean, last he second, says, he, he says that. 
he says, you know, kill the snake. He doesn't say why or what it is, just kill the snake. And I suppose he could have asked for help without actually telling Bill what was going on. Yeah, he totally could have. He totally could have been like, hey, we're going to bust into a Gringotts vault. How do you think I should do this? And I'm using a goblin to help me. What do you know about goblins? I feel like he has somebody right there sitting there who knows the most about goblins of anybody he knows. And he just is like, oh, thanks, bye. And he doesn't ask him any questions. Or like, and Bill outright says, I know goblins. It's like, Harry, use him as a resource. Harry does not um, use the resources available to him. And I think partially because back in... I guess it's uh, Half-Blood Prince. Dumbledore says, you know, don't tell a ton of people. Just yeah. let it be Ron That's what I was going to say. Harry, this like, is takes completely Dumbledore's word. fault. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's Dumbledore's fault. Like, that's all. Harry takes him his word and is like, okay, just Ron and Hermione. And then Dumbledore dies. And it's like, well, since you're dead, I guess it's just Ron and Hermione. That's <laughs> the last thing you told me. <laughs> so and he, that's the thing. Just, like, like, when he finally does start letting other people in when he lets Neville in it's because he's finally realized that Dumbledore was wrong um or that that Dumbledore's way is not the only way um right. he needs to options. see Dumbledore as a complex person more than just his mentor um in order to actually go back on his promise to him um and yeah you can see that throughout his actions throughout this book um and as you were saying you know the um the teenage brain and the childish brain is is very much an insular thing it's a i am the center of the universe and everything everything i do affects my little bubble and everything that is done to me affects my little bubble um and one of the signs of maturity is when you can kind of break out of that bubble and start thinking about other people complexly um and we we see that with ron and hermione's relationship you know hermione is very mature very quickly and can and think complexly about the world and we see that with spew so early on ron takes several years later before he can start thinking oh hang on house elves they're uh, they exist too and it's that kind of their the house elves are a, kind of a metaphor for for ron's emotional rate te- range of a teaspoon becoming a soup spoon <laughs> because he can finally look outside <laughs> so yeah it's it's harry um not being able to trust anyone other than the knowledge that he has got a mission and he will be the one that completes that mission. Um, we've got a few other comments that we'll um, look at that kind of challenge that idea. Um, but yeah, I agree that it's it's very much Harry's single-mindedness at the moment that is, is stopping him from talking to Bill. Some of those other comments, and um, we, we've just mentioned kind of Bill as a resource and Martin Miggs definitely agrees with that. Um, they say, I think Harry made the best decision with what resources he had. Bill may be on good terms with goblins, but I find it very unlikely that they will share secrets of the bank's security features to a human. Only Voldemort has ever broken into Gr- Gringotts without inside help. So I doubt Bill's knowledge with curse breaking would be enough to steal from Gringotts. What do you guys think? Is Gringotts harder than Egyptian tombs? Uh, when did Voldemort break into Gringotts? I think they're talking about With Quirrell. Quirrell. Yeah. The oh. Sorcerer's Stone. I suppose it's true. Although but that I, wasn't I, a maximum security really... vault, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can really like um, compare those two things because this is like a completely different time period where there's already a lot of uncertainty just in the city, into in the Wizarding World itself, and. In book one, it's like, oh, everything is just 
flowers and unicorns and rainbows and like the vault was so deep in this one and like the bottom most most protected most secure vault ever of the oldest family ever and like the most evil people and then the other one was like whatever it's just this other vault (laughs) so right i don't know if you count that as breaking in but hard to compare the two experiences Although it seems like the advice he would have gotten from Bill wouldn't have necessarily helped in terms of the security measures in place, it would have been more almost the strategy and thinking through it of knowing how goblins work. So, for example, right. it seems it seems pretty obvious to me going into that Gringotts chapter, and that's why that chapter, I love it, but it kind of feels like one long panic attack because you know going into <laughs> it that it's going to end just horribly right like they get really lucky that they all get out of there um so you'd think that what bill would have helped with would have been going okay so that plan you have is going to hold up for about five seconds and then here's what's going to go wrong and maybe not even from the like goblin knowledge perspective but just from the maturity and knowing the kind of security ecosystem a little bit better maybe i don't know well, and, like, their problems go wrong from the very start. They're not even into Gringotts and they're having problems. So I feel like he could have helped with, hey, when you see other people, don't assume that they're, like, horrible. They might be another Death Eater. You don't know. And, like, just think before you do stuff. That's, like, the number one problem with the trio is thinking before you act. And they just don't. They're they're 17 and then and Hermione and Ron are 18. It's, like... They're just teenagers. They're doing the best they can. Yeah, although I know I kind of said the contradictory thing in the last point about them having impulsive teenage brains, but also for the plot, it's really lucky that they are like that because I know I said they should have like got some adults advice but that's what I would have done and I would still be sitting in Shell Cottage now in 2016 not having actually done <laughs> anything so in some ways I guess this is how it pans out right yeah. Mm-hmm. that's why they're all Gryffindors right I know I was just thinking that they're all Gryffindors they, they just their pants. Yeah, impulsive actors uh-huh. yep, yep. So Aura Phoenix said that uh, my initial reaction, though, was why couldn't they have just taken Bill instead of Griphook? My first thought was being a curse breaker, I'm sure he's encountered enough hexes and jinxes while excavating. Would he not have enough expertise to at least help them deal with whatever they encountered? Yes, the sacrifice Griphook's knowledge um, and experience, but they gain Bill's loyalty and not getting double-crossed in the end. Also, thinking back to the actual break-in of, of Gringotts, um, I was trying to think of what all grip hooks, what all did grip hook do that would have actually made a difference if they did not take him at all. He provided some information regarding what they would encounter or after the fact with the thief's downfall, but a lot of what got them in so far was imperiosing and the polyjuice potion. So again, it's it's that kind of idea of is curse breaking enough to be equivalent to grip hook's knowledge? But you know, grip hook really, really wasn't helpful in the end. Did they need him at all? He really wasn't. No, but they couldn't have taken Bill because he's a Weasley and he's on the watch list, so. They could have hidden him somehow. You do the invisibility cloak at that point, or? I mean, Harry barely fits. Never mind having Bill (laughs) under there, too. And yet they can just change some of Ron's features and disguise him. Why couldn't they do that with everyone? Yeah. Although they didn't know, right? They had so little knowledge and so little actual plan going into it that... 
I think they took Grip Hook kind of as insurance because they were like, oh, goblins work there. We've got a goblin. Let's do this. Um, but they didn't know how he would come in handy or not. Well, our final comment then comes from Tabula Rasa. Um, they say, I don't know what Bill could possibly offer to Harry other than what he already told Harry. He wouldn't really know the inner workings of Gringotts that would lead them to having a better plan. And if I were Harry, I would think I already put Bill and Fleur in danger by har by harbouring undesirables. If Harry wasn't willing to clue Lupin in, I don't see why he would get Bill involved. With the last chapter, Harry has now been become convinced of the plan and is sticking to it. Not to mention, Harry has been thinking in, his, in the back of his mind that the last Weasley he got involved and helped him lost an ear. He has a saving mm -hmm. people thing. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I don't know if Harry's so concerned about George, but it's fine. Yeah, I think he's completely forgotten that. <laughs> Yeah, he has finally stopped at this point in the book for the first time in, in seven books, basically. Like, even checking that ha that Ron and Hermione are good to go. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, in previously, right before they got into danger every time, he'd be like, I'm going alone, and then they would have a fight about it. And then, yeah, and he's just stopped checking. Like, he either feels, I think it's a combination of feeling so secure that they are all in, and also, at the same time, all he cares about is this mission anymore. Like, it's not that he doesn't care about his friends. It's just that he no longer has mental bandwidth to worry about other people, right? I think since Ron went and came back as well, like, that, you you, don't, you can't test that anymore. That was the ultimate test when he came back. Um, and Hermione's just pretty much told him to stop saying it. So well, and he, Hermione didn't up. leave, and she could have, yeah. so she proved herself yeah. right there, so... I do think he still wants to kind of save lives and he doesn't want more people being involved than necessary. Um, and that was part of why Dumbledore told him not to tell anyone else in the first place. And that's kind of what Harry believes. Um, but I don't think it was a kind of a, a logical choice or a, a kind of forefront of his mind choice that he's he's protecting this person because if they came and helped him now, they would get hurt. It's more of just a, a low level, no one can be involved kind of thing. Yeah, he's taking it a little bit too hard, you know, um... Dumbledore told him not to tell anybody about the mission or the Horcruxes. That doesn't mean he couldn't tell somebody about breaking into the vault or yeah. right. killing a snake, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of our podcast question of the week recap for this week. There are obviously so many more great comments on our website. Please do go and check them out and join in the discussion. Um, there are so many interesting ideas about, you know, what Harry could have done instead. I really do encourage you to go and read them. So that's alohamora.mogonet.com. And something else that's over at alohamora.mugglenet.com is a link to our Patreon page. And we do want to say, before we go into this chapter, that this episode has been graciously sponsored by Caitlin Richardson. And we can't thank you enough, Caitlin, so much. And if you guys would like to sponsor an episode, like Rosie just said, go over to alohamora.mugglenet.com. You can click on the little Patreon link at the top there. And for as little as $1 a month, you can become a sponsor. And... Just as a, maybe a little bit of incentive, our post-Deathly Hallows plans, whatever they may be, are going to be told to our Patreon sponsors weeks before the general public any day now. We're just kind of finalizing our little presentation for you. And so if you want to be in on the know, you know, know what's going on, sponsor us, get the details weeks and weeks and weeks, maybe even months before the general public. So just saying. 
And thank you to all of you that have already become Patreons on there because you guys have been so generous already. We've been so touched by how many of you have already tried to help us out with this. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And with that, I guess we'll jump into our chapter discussion. Let's do this. Chapter 26. Gringotts. So it's uh, it's time to restart the adventure that we've, uh, you know, they've had this nice cushy existence for a little while at Shell Cottage. And it's time to leave that relative safety of those Weasley relatives. And this chapter's circle theory abound as we head back to Diagon. And Harry's first foray into the Wizarding World with a break-in at Gringotts Wizarding Bank. Only this time, we're the ones facing eternity locked inside a vault at the mercy of the goblins. We discover if the rumors of horrible curses and terrible fantastic beasts are true as we head down to Bellatrix's worst-kept secret. Wah-ah-ah. I don't know. I felt like it needed a <laughs> little evil laugh at the end. A little bit, yeah. It just, you know, Bellatrix evil. so we don't get actually a whole lot before they kind of just dive right into this adventure but the prep you know they go through a little bit they've been planning it for would you guys say probably about the same amount of time as the ministry i think the ministry was longer even though it didn't seem to be that much longer they seem to have kind of done a lot more kind of research for the ministry even though it didn't work out very well Right. That's that's kind of what I thought, too. Um, but, you know, it even says that they still feel like they're not ready. Yeah. So that's cool. <laughs> um, but they're going anyway. You know, they're going for it anyway. And they talk about how they lost the tent when the Snatchers picked them up, which is something I guess I hadn't thought about before. Um, but thankfully, Hermione saved the beaded bag. And I was thinking about what other things that could have been important to their journey might have been lost within that tent. Like, do they still have um, what um, the portrait? Um, what's his name? Oh, Phineas Nigellus. Yeah, do they still have him? I'm fairly certain I... he was still in the bag. Yeah, he must have been in the bag. Because Hermione stopped taking him out when Ron came back, I assume. Yeah. Right. And I think well, we hear, so we hear from him <laughs> that he gets he snatches information from when she opens the bag, so he hears things when she opens it, but it doesn't otherwise. Right. Right. Okay. So at least they still have Phineas Nigellus, if nothing else. Hopefully nothing else really important was lost. But they probably don't have food, they don't have a lot of other things. They might have lost clothes or sleeping bags or hmm. Hmm. anything that they wouldn't pack away. I actually have almost the opposite problem with the beaded bag comment rather than worrying about what else they might have lost. I just, I remember the first time I read it feeling like almost kind of laughing at like it almost breaking my suspension of disbelief. And I know there's all these unbelievable things like all of this magic and stuff that happens in these books, but just the ever so convenient fact that Hermione managed to stuff her handbag in her sock (laughs) and that it happened to have all of their stuff in it. And like, it would have been one weird looking sock. I don't know. I just remember reading this book for the first time and that being something that my brain got stuck on where I was like, yeah, ah, no, Joe, like, no. <laughs> 
at least it's probable because we have to remember that this is the 90s so wide bike <laughs> pants were a trend oh my God. <laughs> so it's not like it's today where she had this skinny little leg and probably no like no real sock to think of so, but like, then if it was the 90s legit- she would be wearing like britney like combat trousers she would have had loads of pockets that she could have put them in she wouldn't put it in a sock <laughs> or like yeah. a leg warmer yeah exactly yeah. like she probably had on those like knee-high toe sock things and was just like boom bag. okay yep yeah, i can definitely see it in the knee-high toe sock now bright purple and yellow stripes definitely oh exactly exactly see it's standard hogwarts attire is what that okay is. you guys standard. are geniuses i take that back <laughs> um okay so they go on and they're talking about bellatrix's wand and you know Hermione's complaining about how she doesn't like it and Harry wants to, you know, kind of set the screws to her. But he, you know, he holds back, which uncharacteristic of Harry, I just want to say. But it mentions that Ollivander made Luna a new wand. And I'm just curious. I mean, I know that they spent all that time in the cellar and they bonded and whatever. But why Luna? Out of all of them. I mean, I think it makes it sense that it's Luna. I think the confusing part is how did he make the wand? He's a wand maker. He can make wands <laughs> out of anything. I know, but like, did he just like carry samples of wand wood around with him and like happen to bring that to his like dungeon and like all his tools and everything? Well, they're not in the dungeon now. He, the, the wand has no, but been, like, you know... he didn't stop off at home before he went to the Weasleys. Right, but where is he now? Where did he go after he left Shell Cottage? Aunt Muriel's. Where? Aunt Muriel's, right? Right, okay. So she lives in wherever she lives. There's trees there. There's materials. Yeah, but... I don't find it improbable that he made her a wand. Is there, you know, does he have... Like, in my head, a wand maker has, like, all these tiny little metal instruments and, like, things that you would, like, shave wood with and, like... um, like whittling tools and things like I feel like it's it's partially a, a magical craft but also partially mechanically like you are physically carving mm, see I think the total opposite I I think of him um and this is a terrible analogy but more of like a MacGyver like he can make a wand out of anything oh, as long okay. as he has the right like physical pieces of the wand to do so if he has but wood he, in a core, he isn't can make a Ollivander wand. famous for only really using three one cores? Am I completely making right. that up? No, yes, you are that's correct. Totally true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, does he have like where did he get either unicorn tail, phoenix feather, or is it dragon heart strings? The last yes. Right. Well, yeah, he just had that in his pocket. Hagrid proved that you can <laughs> buy and sell unicorn hair. <laughs> Pretty much anything. Yeah. Yeah, so but he's that's like not frail. that's not a thing that I feel like is this mythical substance that he can't find to stick in a piece of wood. Okay, but then that means he would have had to like go to Diagon Alley and like no. borrow this. Not necessarily. He can barely walk. I feel like right, there's definitely I mean. people who could get that for him, and, like okay. Hagrid included. Right? Can you send an owl to go and pluck a hair from a unicorn? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't you think it kind of redeems? Not redeems Ollivander, because I'm not one of those people who thinks that he kind of has anything to be sorry about, but it kind of shows a side to his character, right, that 
whoever's right about what he needed or how hard it is to make a wand, it sounds like he had to go to some kind of effort while he felt like complete crap at the same time. And the fact that he did that for Luna kind of shows that, I don't know, it was just kind of a a nice thing to do that he probably didn't need to do at all. I think it shows Luna's worth. You know, Luna has been such an overlooked character that... And and Olivander is such a strange, enigmatic character as well. Like he's got this really kind of dark side to him, especially you know with John Hurt in the film. Um, but for yeah, for Luna to have taken the time to to look after him when they were down in the dungeon, and he wants to return that favor, you know, he wouldn't do that for anyone. You know, when he when he, when Harry gets his wand, he's interested in the potential power that lies in that partnership. For Luna, he just wants to to make her something that will fit her, as a thank you, as you know, as a as a reparation for for what she does for him, um, and for for anyone to be able to create that much of a bond in only three or four months, it shows just how amazing Luna is. She really must have looked after him down there. Okay, so so he's doing it for her more as a a thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. But then poor Dean is sitting there like, oh, man. You know, couldn't <laughs> yeah, he have just Dean like... Dean definitely got the short end of the stick right there. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, ba-dum-bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just... I mean, I guess the trio have wands, and they didn't bond with him the same way, but... I don't know. It just seemed a little, like... I don't know, favoritism or something. I think for sure it's favoritism. I think he's he's definitely singling her out and saying, you were great here's this present. And not only is it like, oh, I just pulled this off the shelf for you. It's like, no, I made this thinking of you the whole time. And I made it specifically for you. Mm -hmm. That is pretty sweet. Oh my God, new OTP. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. I was just thinking, I was like, do I ship this? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) They are both Ravenclaws, which I think is kind of interesting. That's true. Yeah, and somebody pointed out in the comments um, from last week about why Harry didn't use them more often to find out about Ravenclaw relics, which let's not even go into Harry's ignorance and stupidity at the moment. I feel like that could be a whole episode, but yeah, Harry, that was dumb. (laughs) Anyway, so Harry mentions that Draco's wand seems to be working much better for him than the blackthorn one that he was using before and i wonder if it's because um harry then technically was kind of that wand's old master right because because well, he won the elder master. wand from draco and the the wand was draco's and whatever he, that timeline both, is you know what i'm saying he's master of both yeah uh, if you can be master of both I don't know. Well, I think, you know, if if Draco is master of both, because it's the one chose him and then he's won another wand, can he dual wield wands? That would be really cool. Um, just aside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like but yeah, a, so, like so a... technically Draco must have been the master of both wands, at yeah. least for a time. Your old wand won't lose its allegiance to you just because you found a new one. Um, so yeah, Harry, by, by winning one wand, Harry wins both. Um, I remember thinking back to the kind of soul idea. You've got kind of twin souls now. These these ones are linked somehow. 
I remember not thinking about that when I first read the book and maybe it was my teenage brain, but I remember thinking it was interesting that he probably would have assumed that Draco Malfoy's wand because at this stage, remember, he still just thinks Malfoy is like 100% dick, 0% good dude. And he would have expected Malfoy's wand to kind of fight him, I'd imagine. And maybe just the fact that it's easier than he thought, it's like, ah, Huh. Mm. You know, like I remember reading the book the first time and being like, oh, isn't that funny? They're not, you know, maybe their magic is actually quite similar. And maybe it's a moment of him realizing that actually Draco Malfoy's wand isn't going to fight him all the way because maybe they're actually less different than they thought. But she probably meant it as a theory about the Elder Wand. But I remember reading it and thinking it was about that. No, I was just thinking about that, how actually, you know, Harry and Draco are more alike than they would probably ever like to admit. <laughs> so, I think that's true. I think they, Harry has a lot of Slytherin tendencies. And I know people argue like, well, is that the Horcrux? Is that him? I think it's him. I think he, he has more tendencies than he would admit to. And I mm-hmm. think he has more in common with Draco because of that. And I think Draco is better than a lot of people give him credit for but because he was brought up in this horrible family he kind of has these tendencies to lean toward the dark side we've talked a bit before about um celtic tree astrology and um the idea of kind of woods having kind of um different properties and you know that joe has used some of this in her kind of talk her thinking about one woods um and the the description of Hawthorne is quite interesting because it's got this idea of never judging a book by its cover based on it. Um, it's one of those things where you, you think it's going to be acting one way and it's acting something else. So having that kind of link to, to Malfoy and his kind of is he good, is he evil kind of idea and this kind of battle that's in him um, makes Hawthorne, Hawthorne quite an interesting one for him to have. Um, I agree. Yeah, my um my wand on a Pottermore official is Draco Malfoy's wand, as a that's cool. side. Yeah, it's the exact same everything. Hawthorne, wow, unicorn hair, Slytherin. Like, yeah, apparently <laughs> yeah. The, the Slytherin thing was accurate. I don't know, um, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. And I'm like, oh, it's Draco's wand. What? That's so. coincidental, for sure. Yeah. So they um start getting closer and closer to that day and Harry has his doubts of course you know because they haven't really had a chance to talk about how they're gonna screw over Griphook basically because as <laughs> yeah. Ron says uh he could give uh Weez, uh he could give Molly lessons in lurking about and all of that which I thought was really funny you know Ron's little humor there but um the day finally gets get here and they wake up at the crack of dawn to go out there and Hermione takes the Polyjuice Potion, and says that Bellatrix tastes disgusting worse than Gertie Roots, which made me laugh <laughs> yeah. a lot more so than kind of ever before. And I like that, and it's funny because I didn't notice this reading it the last time before too, but the very first chapter or the very first paragraph of this little chapter is about that single black hair that came floating so lovingly down onto Hermione in the movie. <laughs> And there it is, and here it is, making its appearance finally yeah. with this polyjuice. So, my question on that oh. is: there has been 
a very um, documented case in Chamber of Secrets where she thought it was one hair and it wasn't. So she's just assuming that the hair that's on her sweater is Bellatrix's hair. Like, I hope you're right, because you might be oh my gosh, again. yes. She's got very <laughs> distinctive hair. <laughs> I was going to say, it's long and black. I'm not sure they've encountered any other hairs like that. Yeah, but, I don't know. No, but I that's mean, a valid I, point, you know. You're supposed to assume, like, oh, well, it's definitely her hair. And I think the movie makes it extremely clear with it floating down. But Joe has also shown us another instance where she's like, oh, I'm positive it's Millicent's hair. I'm like, oh, okay, it's cat, so... So it'd be really funny if she was like, whoops, I'm actually Narcissa or whoops, I'm actually the housemaid. I mean, right. And they say they explicitly say we have enough polyjuice for one person. So I hope you didn't make a mistake because you can't take anymore. Mm, That's true. And did they just brew that polyjuice? Where did that come from? No, I I think that's from Moody still. Leftover. Seven Potters. Didn't they make potion before they went to the ministry? I thought that was one of the reasons why they took so long in preparing for the ministry, because they were brewing new potion Mm. in order for that one. I think they stole it from Moody. I mean, that's probable. I don't know. How did they steal it from Moody? I'm going to I think Hermione just says that she took some of Moody's stash or something. Right. I mean, he... Yeah, I'm sorry, he's dead, so... I don't think I'm remembering that incorrectly. I don't think so. I can't remember Um, either. Oh no, we failed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been bad. Alright, so they finally get their stuff together, and they go. They're on their way. And they land in Diagon Alley. And things pretty much immediately start to go to crap, basically. Um, But... Before we even talk about that, do you think that Bellatrix just waltzes up into the Leaky Cauldron and goes to Diagon Alley just like that? I mean, she's one of the most wanted, well, I guess not wanted anymore, one of the most notorious Death Eaters. That just seems a little too normal for Bellatrix. Yeah, it definitely does. Especially like, hmm, it's morning. Let me just, (laughs) I'm off to get my gold. Like, I feel like she'd be more of like a... Vampire? A night person. Yeah. <laughs> also, don't you Under think that she would darkness. never do her own errands? Yeah. Like, never. she's the kind of person no, yeah. who wouldn't do her own groceries. She wouldn't, like, she probably doesn't have internet shopping, but she definitely would make someone else do it for her and then yell at them when they did it wrong rather than, like, she wouldn't do her own banking. Everyone hates doing their own banking. So if you were, like, super evil, you wouldn't do it yourself. Well, and she's not right. only and evil, I mean, but maybe she's that's wealthy. what Rodolphus is for. Maybe that's his job. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered about that because, like, what the heck? Where is her husband this whole time? Is is he even alive? He must be alive, right? I think the as last far as we know, I don't think like, he's dead. Well, the last time we saw him was like um, Haplod Prince. I think he was on the tower, possibly when Dumbledore died. Was, was he? he? Maybe I don't remember. Um, but like, wh- where is this dude? Like, you're married to him. Where is he? I don't know. I think she's married to the Dark Lord in her mind, so mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah, for sure, yeah, she's. They clearly do not have a very loving marriage. Yeah, I think it's a marriage of convenience and like, oh, you're also a pureblood who's mostly evil. Cool, let's get married. Right, let's do this exactly. Yeah, that's how it went. 
So after this kind of shady appearance in Diagon Alley, the problems just start to pile on. They're walking through and oh, look, it's Travers, a Death Eater. Boom, right off the bat. There he is. Oh, I skipped over something. As they're walking through, there's this beggar guy. Beggar. Travers later calls him, quote, wandless, which made me think of the factionless in the Divergent series. But anyway, um, he's yelling about his children, his children. Um, where are my children? What has he done with them? You know, you know. And I'm wondering if that's, if this guy is just kind of crazy or if this is somebody, this is some sort of foreshadowing or something here. It just seems like Joe puts things in for a reason. So I'm just curious what you guys think. I actually think it's Joe doing that thing that she does so well in these books where she can't come and outright say a lot of these really graphic descriptions of the really hideous things going on in this society as it falls mm-hmm. apart because she knows that there's still a lot of ki- little kids still reading these books and obviously yeah. like it's as you guys have discussed it gets more and more graphic as the books go on but this is one of those things where she just drops these little bits of information like that one of the beggars has a bandage over one eye so we're supposed to assume from that that this person probably has been tortured um presumably by maybe death eaters um so and... i always saw this character as a muggle-born or a half-blood and it's someone who like he's wandless because his wand was taken from him by umbridge in the ministry did yeah. no one else read it that way because that's how I've oh no i definitely yeah. i definitely think that's true yeah. i just so i just like, was kind of thinking yeah yeah so the, the the analogy that we've kind of been working with is is the reference between you know this war and world war ii um and and kind of um the if we're we're kind of following the idea through the idea of missing children then becomes you know the idea of of death camps and that kind of thing um so it de- it's definitely referencing incredibly dark ideas that you know really do show how how terrible this world has become so i completely agree that um you know we're we're supposed to think of the terrible things that this person has gone through and that his family has gone through and it it's joe's way of reminding us of what harry is fighting for and why these events when he does go back into the world are so important jeez um, i was not prepared for you to bring up death camps sorry sorry <laughs> i was not I ready for that no I it's okay also, i mean i, I um, think I that's think, a valid interpretation yeah for sure yeah. and I, I think also joe deliberately doesn't say um in addition to what charlotte charlotte said with okay we can't actually say because kids might be reading but also to let your mind wander Mm-hmm. and think well what did happen to his children and it's kind of the same strategy as not telling us how horcruxes are actually made because you can come up with worse things in your mind definitely and just let your mind wander and i think that is exactly what she's doing here is like oh goodness gracious the power of suggestion to these kids number yeah. one rule of storytelling is the difference between showing and telling and you've got to let your reader fill in the gaps yeah right Oh, man. If these were adult books, they would, or adult intended books, can you just imagine them being written like Game of Thrones? (laughs) Or like her Cormoran's Drake novels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you guys have read those, those are incredibly violent, at least the latest one. So, wow. Okay, moving on to, um, well, only very slightly happier things. So we meet Travers, and Harry's like, man, I recognize this guy. I'm not really sure. 
And Griff Hook's like, it's a Death Eater, it's a Death Eater, ah. And really you realize very quickly how poorly Hermione is doing at being Bellatrix. <laughs> because yeah. there are she does a lot of things that Bellatrix wouldn't do, I don't think. Anyway, um, she says things like, and what do you want? I feel like if somebody was like, hey, Madame Lestrange, she would just kind of look at them and keep walking. I'm not sure she'd even bother herself to right, talk to them, them or and she's saying things you know she's questioning what he says and allowing him to be like after you madame you know, he doesn't say that but you know basically and and the whole good morning thing good morning yeah oh i just imagine hermione's like cheerful little voice like good morning it's like oh gosh you couldn't have done something more wrong right there yeah thank goodness it was only with tom the barman who most definitely didn't notice or if he did, <laughs> yeah, he didn't. Uh, doesn't care. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's in his own little world here. Well, here they are, standing kind of in the middle of Diagon Alley. Like I said, they've met Travers, and they're talking, and Hermione's being very unconvincing. And Travers lets drop that he heard that the everyone who was at Malfoy Manor were confined to the house after the uh, escape, after letting Harry go. And I was thinking about it. If Travers was at the Lovegood's house... Why is he out walking about? Shouldn't he have been punished too? Right? Maybe he's no? too low level. Oh. Or they did capture Xenophilius, so maybe that was good enough. Mm, go, maybe. We got this one guy. I guess because, like, I don't think, like, Voldemort was called when they thought that Harry was in Xenophilius' right. house. Oh, Whereas true. he was called to the Malfoy's house so it's kind of the yes they almost had him both times but the loss of him at the Malfoy's was a lot more serious than um, the loss of him at Lovegood's Um, they could easily cover up what had gone wrong at Lovegood's that's true plus they had not only Harry they had Ron and Hermione there to use as torture devices or whatever so Mm -hmm. I guess it is the they, bigger error. I don't error. think they covered it up, though, at the Lovegoods, because Hermione's picture gets in the paper. That's true, but they probably just used the uh, explosion of the rumpet horn as reasoning for the house. I don't know. Hard to say, I guess. But I do think that probably in this moment, you know, he asks a lot of questions, and I know that he's there to give ex ex. Well, I can never say this word, uh, exposition about what has happened recently. But I think personally that they might have waited a little bit too long to use the Imperius curse on him. Because he's definitely suspicious and that doesn't help once they finally get to the bank, personally. You think they should have just Imperius him to start with? I mean, much sooner than they did, I think. Harry's going through kind of a transformation in that sense in this chapter though, right? Like this is where he starts using this unforgivable curse in in a really, um, by the end of the chapter, he's doing it without thinking about it, but it seems like it takes him a moment to realize that that's what he should do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would have been his first uh, instinct to just be like, oh, Death Eater, Imperial. But... It probably yeah, would have helped, you immediately, but I don't think he would have thought of it. 
yeah, in the first instance, you'd be looking around thinking, how can we just like jetpack out of here? And only like pretty far down the list would be, oh, I know I'll use an unforgivable curse. Like, <laughs> Right. Do you think wands have a corrupting influence as well? Harry using Draco's oh. wand is perhaps influencing the spells that he's using? Well, and that's something that I thought about too. I think that maybe the spells probably came a little bit easier to him because of Draco's wand. I'm sure Draco's no stranger to using something like Crucio or Imperius. Mm-hmm. Well, he oh. um, Draco gets forced to torture people by Voldemort. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. So if we're thinking about wands getting bored, then, you know, this wand is going to do what it normally does, and that's torturing and controlling. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that. I had thought that, okay, this is possibly a far reach, but I, reading this chapter and the imperious curses and Harry using them without kind of agonizing over them really reminded me of that moment in book one where I feel like Dumbledore's almost setting us up for this to happen later. I don't know, this might be a massive stretch. But you know when Harry gets the uh, Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone and he wonders why it dropped into his pocket when he was looking in the mirror and Dumbledore says something about um, only people who see themselves finding the stone, finding it but not using it. Um, would be able to get it. Dumbledore almost sets up this idea that there is like a purity of intention that means that you can do things without like being too hyper morally concerned about them. And I feel like this is an idea that Dumbledore kind of espouses through the books that once you get to a point where your only intention is to get what has to be done, done, then there's suddenly a turning point whereby you can do things that perhaps you shouldn't be doing in the same way that he knows that he's sending Harry to die, but he just has justified it to himself by thinking this is what has to be done. And it seems like, I don't know, it just seems to me like Joe's setting this idea up throughout the books that there's, yeah, like I say, a purity of cause or intention that is justification for doing things that you wouldn't, normally do is that too far-fetched no because it makes me think about the patronus charm and how um it says you have to be pure of heart in order to use it or pure yeah it's pure of heart right i think that's what Pottermore says yet Mm -hmm. umbridge can still do it because she thinks that what she's doing is right right Mm -hmm. so i definitely don't think it's too far-fetched i do think it's a kind of an underlying tone so maybe with um with this situation harry like kind of had to unlock the imperious curse because he couldn't have done it at the start he had to kind of wait until it's like okay now it's go time i have to like get this done kind of he kind of transitions as he moves towards the bank because we're not meant to think of this as a moral dilemma right like there's no there's no point in this chapter where we were meant to be pausing and thinking oh crap harry's just done an imperious curse what's this going to mean for the future of his character development and his soul like we're just like yep that seems reasonable you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. or at least i do anyway yeah no i agree with that um i guess since we're on the topic of wands we can talk about bellatrix's wand here where they specifically mention it you know Travers is like well wait a second your your wand I thought that it was gone and you have it and 
Uh, wasn't that kind of dumb? Super dumb. Oh my gosh. Big, huge. Oh my gosh. The dumbest thing they could have done. (laughs) They, they just, this is like the part of the book where I'm like, I'm so frustrated with you. Why, 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 why? Out of all the things you could have done and you use her wand and her, it's like you morons. Yeah. Not the brightest bulbs. (sighs) And it's frustrating because I understand the want to want to use that wand and to make it really authentic because you would think that people might not know about Bellatrix losing her wand, which also makes you then think about how the how the news is really kind of getting out there about all mm-hmm. of this stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how does Travers know... That her wand is gone. Is there mm-hmm. like a newsletter? Or yeah, I don't know. There's just I was thinking gossip. of that too. It's like, but how, how do the Death Eaters get news so, to each other? I think, you know, the the attack on Malfoy Manor that Voldemort does, you know, as soon as Voldemort was called and, and that becomes a thing, um, you know, the the rest of the Death Eaters are going to know that Malfoy has fallen out of favour and they're going to know about what happened in that house and how they let Harry Potter go. So the loss of the wand will become public knowledge as part of that information. Not but only how? was Malfoy able to let Harry Potter go, but they let Harry Potter steal their wands. How, sh- how shaming is that? How embarrassing is it that not only did you try and call the Dark Lord to, to gloat about what you've done, but you let the guy get away with your one, like, magical item. It's, yeah, they're gonna know. Um, I don't know. See, I think kind of the opposite. I'm not sure that Voldemort would want that to be out there in the world, to right. know that, that Harry Potter has slipped from his grip once again. Warded him again. I don't think it's going to be Voldemort that gets the information out there, though. I think it's going to be other Death Eaters that are aware of what's going down. Do you think it's just like whispers? Like, yeah. oh, did you hear? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Travis strikes me as just the kind of guy who's just such a drawing room gossip. Like he's mm-hmm. this slightly <laughs> toffee, like just English. Like I don't know. I just think it's a couple of things he says in this chapter. Like, for example, he says, um, oh, filthy gold, but we can't live without it. Ha <laughs> ha. Like it's such a rich person thing to say. He's the like, Gretchen yeah. Wieners. Yeah. The and the fact that he's still, yeah, he is. And the fact that he's still kind of joking about money and stuff at a time like this, I can just imagine him and the other Death Eaters like huddled around over a whiskey late at night, just having this good old gossip about like how Bellatrix, you know, did this mistake and everyone's talking about her and isn't it outrageous and I actually think that maybe Harry and Ron and Hermione totally underestimated or didn't even think about everyone sitting around gossiping about what had happened and who was in favor and who was out of favor and it's you're completely right it's exactly like the plastics from Mean Girls is how I imagine (laughs) the Death Eaters at this point. Especially because there were snatches there as well and the snatches survived like they have no qualms about gossiping about the Death Eaters. Right. Did the Snatchers survive, though? I think so. Especially, you know, our favourite pirate Death Eater snitcher bloke. Forgotten his name temporarily. <laughs> um, the one who did... He uh, doesn't exist in the book. Scabior? So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sca- yeah, Scabior exists. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. No, never. I was not thinking about him. And then she said okay. the name and I was like, oh yeah, him. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm fairly sure, like, Scabia's gonna talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I if thought... it had been 24 hours later, this plan would have been ace. Because <laughs> right. nobody would have known. Yeah. But they mm-hmm. waited too long. Yeah. Sure did. Yep. But I think, like, didn't Voldemort go back and kind of punish everybody? I know in the movie, it's like, he killed everyone. It's bloody and ugh. But I thought, um, I thought at least some people, I know... Well, oh, definitely, because says, Trevor's like, even says, well, wait a minute, like, everyone's confined to Malfoy Manor. Yeah. So, yeah, he definitely punishes True, okay. them. But I thought for sure the, the Snatchers, at least, because um, Bellatrix, I think, stuns them and says to Draco, like, get these people out of here, move them out to the garden or whatever. And I thought she said something like, if you can't finish them, I will later. So I'm not sure if they did die or not. Well, they show up later, don't they? At least Greyback does. Yeah, Greyback. Greyback is one of those weird characters who kind of is like towing this line of like Snatcher, Death Eater, whatever is convenient for yeah. them at the time. Yeah. And but that's interesting because I see Travers as one of those characters as well. He's not. He's not a solid Death Eater, but he's not also not. You know. Right. So it would make sense for him to be one of these gossiping in betweeny characters who really want to see Malfoy fall because he had so much power and so much influence and now he's this confined to his manner shell of a man. So they're gonna wanna yeah, talk about now it. They're gonna wanna about it. I don't think Travers it. was mentioned in the graveyard, you know, powwow with the like quotes real Death Eaters in yeah. Goblet yeah. of Fire. I think he must have come on later. He's a new recruit. Yeah. Right, new recruit. he's new. He's a newbie. <laughs> So they finally get up to Gringotts, and there's just this kind of throwaway line about, oh, probity probes. You know, so crude, so effective. And it's funny because you think of a probity probe, personally, and you think of definitely something that, you know, actually probes. But no, it's just more like one of those security wands at the airport. It's just like a stick that's going to poke you. Exactly, and it's gold. (laughs) That's about it. My problem with the probity probe wasn't wasn't so much that as it's another invention that we haven't heard of when we already have something that is the same thing, which is what Filch uses all the time. It's called yeah. a secrecy sensor, I think. And he always, like, when he's checking the students to go in and out when they're going to Hogsmeade, like, why do we have another thing? Is this a, a It's not more... looking for secrets. It's, it's, for it's a probably just a thing. different brand, like Campbell's <laughs> and Progressive, brand. like Soup, you know, just different brands, same object. <laughs> Okay. I'm hungry, guys. I'm sorry. I can't help bringing up cookies and soup. So a secrecy (laughs) sensor is going to look for things that are hidden, whereas a probity probe is looking for probity. (laughs) So it's it's looking for having strong moral principles of honesty and decency and morality and all of those kind of things. That's what probity means. Um, So not only is it a a pun, probity probe, they they sound the same, but it's looking for a different particular quality. Thank God you're here, Rosie. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Don't you think that this is quite um, an average beefing up of security? Like, if you're going to beef up security and a teenager can get past it with an imperious curse, don't you think that's something they would have thought <laughs> Not of? even an imperious curse, a well, confundus. Oh, yeah, yeah. confundus. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, my mistake. Well, this it's is airport security, isn't it? You know, it's it's exactly what happened when these books had been released. We went from being able to go through airport security fairly easily to get into the the secure place to now being checked and having to take off our shoes and not being allowed liquids and all of that kind of thing. 
they're they're relatively small inconveniences like some things still get through but they're just possible checks to to make that might stop some things based on some idea of evidence and these are wizards who lock doors and yeah. there's a spell to unlock doors yeah <laughs> <That's so true. laughs> i mean so they're also not super keen on security in general no so. not really they don't really care. and they trust you know all of the things that they've got in gringotts itself the breaking in is not going to happen through the front door. It's going to happen through the vaults. You can <laughs> go in, that's so they fine. think. Yeah. <laughs> so they think. It's like the lowest level of security at the furthest out place. Yeah. In the in the building. Kind of like the sorcerer's stone. Yeah. Philosopher's right. stone. Because you know, but, a three-headed dog is nothing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, this is the equivalent of fluffy. <laughs> Uh, so the trio and Travers and Griphook finally actually make it into Gringotts after getting by the probity probe very easily. And there's lots of great little moments in this chapter, as we talked about earlier, that tie back to the first book. And here's one of them because Harry is sitting there and he's remembering that first time that he came to Gringotts with, um, with Hagrid. And it's a very cute little moment. And, you know, he's remembering how Hagrid was like, You'd be mad to try and rob it. He probably grins or giggles to himself. I know I would, personally, <laughs> if I were there. And it's such an important thing, isn't it? It's, you know, we, we, when we were first introduced to this world, Gringotts was the most magical place because not only was it a wizarding bank, but it was a wizarding, wizarding bank where Harry was given a fortune. And that's every little kid's dream. And he was told that no one could ever break in there. And then someone broke in and he thought, wow, that's really impressive scary but impressive and now he is the one doing the breaking in how far we have come since that first book to be at this moment here it's just i love this moment <laughs> no it's good and and there's lots of like i said lots of good little moments like that in this chapter mm-hmm. do you think from a, a writing perspective that joe planned in book one um hey, maybe later on in the series, Harry will come back and steal something from here, so I'll put this funny line to tie back to? Or do you think it was just like, oh, I have that t- funny line. I'll tie back to it. Or no, definitely I definitely planned because it's okay. Joe, And I think that she knew... Uh, she probably didn't plan it out to the fact, you know, about the lines and everything, but I think that she knew where she wanted to hide the Horcruxes and Tom's story and that Harry would eventually have to break into Gringotts. The in fact order that to we're told about a dragon in the first book right. mm-hmm. made me think that yeah, like this dragon has been planned since that first book. Right, exactly. Right. And speaking of dragons and stuff, we're almost there. We're almost there. But Yay. they wa- <laughs> they walk up and the goblin says, Well I need identification and she's like, What? You've never asked for this before Somehow, you know, they get through because Harry finally does the imperious curse and it's a little bit of a sad moment because it's it sucks that it's come to that, come to this, but he has to do it. And then there was a moment that really stuck out to me, which I hadn't ever thought about before. And it's when they're they're finally walking back and a goblin comes running towards um, Bogrod and he says, quote, We have instructions. Forgive me, madam, but there have been special orders regarding the vault of Lestrange. And I had never thought about that before, because that goblin's not under 
any curse or anything. He just sees that she's in here and all of that. So probably sometime in that two months or three months, however long it was that they were at Shell Cottage, they've been alerted by Voldemort, we think. Yeah. Maybe? Or Has since the cup months? was put I in the I didn't think it had been that long. Had been a while, right? Also, doesn't it make you think, like, you know how you think about Voldemort and, like, strategic planning and thinking five steps ahead and thinking about the little details of things like he doesn't seem like an excel spreadsheet kind of guy and then (laughs) neither does bellatrix like not to be rude but she just seems pretty insane so who is the person who's thinking about things like huh so if someone has bellatrix's wand what if they went to try and steal something from bellatrix's vault like who's the person who's like you know how every organization has a secret administration ninja who always thinks about the things like that and that no (laughs) one else thinks about who is that person for the death eaters like i genuinely want to know I think Bellatrix has realised her mistake. Like, she was so focused on the sword and the fact that they had it and it should be in the vault that she now knows that, you know, someone wants to get in there. Um, And the fact that Lord Voldemort has has made such a thing of you have to protect the Horcrux, you have to protect... Like, you you can't um, let anyone in there. For her to have given that away has created this plan and and they know that how harry's mind works they do know harry quite well um especially lord voldemort we see that later on with the with the forest kind of thing um he knows exactly what harry is going to do so for for that information to have been revealed it was always going to be inevitable that harry would go to that vault um so it would make sense especially with with bellatrix's one being stolen and all of that kind of thing for them to expect that someone will try and get in they don't necessarily think it's going to be bellatrix herself and they don't kind of expect polyjuice potion or anything like that but they they do expect some kind of activity in that vault and it will have been locked down so they they would expect no one to be going in there at all so you do think these are new measures then and not something that necessarily has been in place since the horcrux was put in there because bellatrix doesn't know it's a horcrux she just knows it's a cup i think yeah this is new measures since since malfoy manor yeah, I agree. I think they they specifically made those instructions down because, security of because of her slip. Yeah, yeah. But does Voldemort know, or is it set up by him. Bellatrix <laughs> as a, as a a fail safe? I see it kind of like Narcissa and uh, Lucius and Draco and Bellatrix all like freaking out together. Like, oh crap, what do we do? Uh. Uh, we need to call the goblins. Okay, what do we tell them? Like, don't let anyone in our vault. And I just see them kind of like... But it's not the Malfoy mode. family vault. It's Lestrange. I know, but like, they're sisters. And I'm just seeing... Like, I'm yeah. expecting them to be kind of freaking out in, in Malfoy Manor. Like, we made a mistake. What are we doing? And then... I think... I don't know if... I don't know if they tell Voldemort. Why would they? Personally, I wouldn't. I He's scary, dude. That seems like a great way to get killed. Um, yeah, they yeah they're not worried about the Horcrux at this moment, and obviously like it's it's them breaking into this vault that then triggers Voldemort thinking about the Horcrux and the, about that people that that Harry is aware, and that leads to that kind of quick treasure hunt of him going to check on all of his things. Um, it is the sword that they are worried about because they've seen Harry and Hermione with the, Harry Hermione and Ron with the sword. Um, so it's it's triggered that paranoia. Um, 
So it could be the it could be Bellatrix herself trying to crack down because, you know, if if the sword means that much to them and Griphook has just told them that it's a fake, but she's told them that she has the real one, they probably want to go and replace that sword with the real one. So she's she can easily work out that thought process. Um, yeah, so I don't think it will be necessarily Lord Voldemort that's that's cracking down on this information. It is the Death Eaters. It is you know it could even be snape um within the kind of the death eater half of himself um trying to to cover that kind of basis if if bellatrix has has told him um that um you know that someone has been seen with the sword um so there there's several ways that 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 these security measures could have been triggered other than lord voldemort himself Man, Snape always creeps into our conversation. He's not even in this yes. chapter, and yet he's no. in it. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one that gave her the sword. So the, do we think that somebody... So nobody probably at the bank is under Voldemort's control, then, if we think that Bellatrix no. is the one who put these in yeah. place. I don't I think, think anyone at the bank is directly under his control. No. Yeah, I've changed my mind. Really. I don't think he has a secret administrative ninja. Um, I think <laughs> it was Bellatrix. I, I agree with you guys totally. If he does have one, it's going to be Tracy from MuggleNet because she's most definitely our uh, <laughs> secret ninja. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, Don't you yeah. think it was Peter before that, though? Like, he would just be the oh. exact Muppet who you just make take all the minutes at the meetings and, like, make everyone cups of tea and stuff. Like, don't you think Maybe, he would be that Maybe, he's dead. Yeah, but it would have been him in the past. Yeah. I reckon. Maybe. Anyway, sorry, tangent. <laughs> no, it's okay. That, that I mean, that happens. It's like that's like the subheading of this show. Alohomora, open the Dumbledore with tangents. It's fine. <laughs> um, so eventually they get in and and um, they're like, oh my god, this is the stupidest thing. I can't believe that we're here, that we're doing this. And Ron is like, well, what should we do? Should we leave? And Hermione's like, yes. And and Harry says, nope, we're doing this. This is happening. We're going forward. Sorry, it's happening. So they get on the little cart and they're going through and he tells Travers to hide, um, which I think is the best throwaway line ever. It says they hurled past Travers, who was wriggling into a crack <laughs> in the wall. Yes. And I love that. Poor Travers. That just shows how dangerous that curse is as well. Yeah. I don't know. It made me laugh way too hard. But anyway, so they go and suddenly they see this this waterfall and grip hook shouts no and uh oh it's too late they have already gone through the, what we come to find out to be the thief's downfall and first off i just want to say that that sucks because they are now drenched <laughs> and nobody likes to be wet in their clothes i hate it yeah personally yeah. it's just you know the the water ride on the theme park it's fine there's no water ride robes. at the theme park <laughs> and shoes yeah <laughs> But um, and it's not really water either. It's like potion. So, yuck. Yeah, true. Don't That's you true. think that it doesn't actually downfall them that much though? Like it just pretty much takes the enchantments off them. But it still doesn't yeah, actually. Yeah, they're stop not impeded in any way. It. It's just oh, now you're you. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean all it really does is they go through it. The cart stops and it dumps them out and they fall. But. It's funny because then they still use the cushioning charm to like stop them from dying on the rocks. Why not just let them die on the rocks? Why bother with the charm? I don't know. No, I think it's Hermione who does the charm. 
Uh, I don't. Because she goes, she goes, uh, I think uh, Harry says I, he heard Hermione shout something. And then later she's like, cushioning charm. And oh, I guess uh, I, I assumed that because it said heard Hermione shriek, not yeah. mutter. Like if it were mutter, but shriek to me is more like, ah, I'm falling. I don't know. Yeah, I always assumed that was her casting the spell. Okay, I mean that's that's cool. I had I definitely never read it like that, but you're probably right. Which is good because I was giving the goblins way too much credit for that cushioning <laughs> charm. Yeah. Anyway, but if it was the goblins, you know, it's probably a way of avoiding the cleanup. Maybe or being able to <laughs> punish them after the fact. Yeah. Right? And yeah, and then you can put them in a vault. Or Feed them to a dragon. Instead. Feed them to a dragon. Exactly. Um, is the thief's downfall? Do we think that the vaults that are under slash past that are only the older vaults, or do you think other people get the benefit of the thief's downfall too? I guess I didn't ever think there was only one thief's downfall. Oh, okay. So, but I I assume that where they're going now is definitely the older vaults. Sure. So it kind of helped them by dropping them so much closer. Cool. Quicker. (laughs) Right. And the last thing about the thief's downfall, which kind of boggled my mind, we touched on it a little bit before, is the little beaded bag. So it, it, quote, the thief's downfall, um, I got to find the line. It says, washes away away all enchantment, all magical concealment. Mm. There's a beaded bag. And why did that suddenly not become 12 and a half million pounds? That's a good point. Maybe Hermione's socks are waterproof. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it only removes charms and concealments from, like, animated beings. Does it technically count as a concealment? It's not trying to hide something. It's just trying to offer more space. It's kind of like um, a portal into like um the i'm trying to think what my analogy is here there's another um like the car or the tent or whatever yeah yeah it's kind of like a tardis it's it's mm. a time and relative dimension in space it's it's fitting um two moments in time on top of each other and that kind of stuff so you've got a little parallel universe that you're putting things into and taking things out of that you carry around with you um rather than actually hiding something that's actually bigger i suppose i would agree with that if it didn't say all enchantment comma all magical concealment yeah i'm looking at that right now and um harry also still has the cloak it says he he thrust his own hand under his jacket to make sure he had not lost the invisibility cloak maybe it's not a death speeded back but it's (laughs) a present of miney from death it's a concealment thing yeah but but i i i don't see the cloak as being an issue personally because it it is a hallow and it it is above all rules yeah i guess it kind of it doesn't count but i don't know it just (laughs) the wording is really specific yeah i guess it depends if you see that particular wording as a list or as additional information if you see it as a list, then it's all magical enchantments 
absolutely plus especially concealment charms if it's additional information then it's all magical enchantments that are concealment charms so kind of grammatically there's a bit of ambiguity as to what you actually mean with that comma <laughs> um, right. which would explain why the bag didn't expand um, mm-hmm. which then would rely on it being the hallow that protects the cloak which is fair enough because we know that that cloak is impervious to deterioration and, and destruction. Right. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe Joe just forgot about it. <laughs> she might have, but she made a point of saying that Hermione stuffed it in her sock. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. So here we are, guys. We are finally at this dragon that we've been hearing about that lives in Gringotts. And it's here. And supposedly, by the way, it's an Ukrainian iron belly just for the record. And, you know, we touched on this very briefly before, but that dragon has probably been down there a really long time. And I don't know, I'm just thinking about neglected animals and all that. Wouldn't it kind of probably have died before now? Either starvation or, you know, depression for being locked up. I don't know. Every time I read this, I always feel so bad for that dragon because they, they, I think Harry says like that he sees slash marks on its face and he um, infers that it's from a hot sword. What? What are they doing? No, stop. We've already seen that, you know, goblins are not the most humanitarian of creatures um, being goblins rather than humans. That makes sense. But, you know, they they don't see the value of life in the same way as other people. Um, and you know historically throughout fantasy literature goblins are always incredibly um, greedy and proud and and they they are always the ones that are after riches rather than you know anything more kind and and, um, emotional and then they don't really value kind of um, quality of life or anything like that so it does kind of make sense that they're going to abuse a creature like this Um, but at the same time this creature has incredible value to them, so they are keeping it alive. It may not have the best life, but they are not going to let it die because it has so much importance in, in, in its job. Um, so yeah, they'll torture it, but they will make sure it survives, They must be feeding it. It definitely yeah. just struck me on how extreme the abuse is, because I feel like even a wizard would be like, ah, uh, this is probably a bit much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, Gringotts is, is run by goblins, not wizards. They work yeah. together. Also, but... I think part of the dragon's uh, appeal is just the, the legend of it. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, Haggard says in, in the first book, like, oh, they say there are dragons down there. They really only need to have one. Because people, it kind of spreads and like, oh, they have dragons, you know. It, it helps the impenetrability of Gringotts. That's true. How do you think they got it in? If they have so much trouble getting it out. Yeah. I just really hope it wasn't a baby. Me too. Oh, yeah, I, of course. That's terrible. How they I can't handle that. Like, oh. And but- maybe that's why she's blind. Because she just grew up down there and just never has seen the light. <laughs> ever. Yeah, it says it scales turn pale and flaky it's like it's like a plant kept in the dark oh poor baby i hope that once they finally escape later on that she has a very long happy life somewhere very far away from london yeah 
and that her She's scales nice get all hard hard and happy again <laughs> yeah i think they were yeah they're meant to be gray in color anyway you know you've got this the iron belly idea that it is um that kind of grayish to deep red color um so it, it's going to be a relatively pale dragon compared to some that we've seen it, it's not going to be very chromatic um but yeah it's definitely been parched by the lack of sunlight it's yeah like like the plant that's been out of the sun um and i i think it has been there for a very long time i don't think it's it's ever experienced freedom really well how long do dragons live long do we time. know about their lifespan not sure in terms of dragon lifespans you know i don't think we've got anything in fantastic beasts that tell us of lifespans within this particular um mythology dragons in general are believed to live thousands of years in mythology in 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 in, in, in i'm stuck on the word in. in in mythology in general um but yeah she's definitely pretty old and i'm sad because she was probably put there as a baby yeah, she was probably yeah, um, in there as an egg. It's do you just... think it was a girl? Um, I don't know. I know that the 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 one at the Wizarding World's a girl, so I was just kind of by default. Oh, really? Girl. I have not been to the Wizarding World, unfortunately. I oh, will get there eventually in my life, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's described as quite diminutive in size. Like it's it's not meant to be a big scary brute of a dragon it's 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 still scary but it's um described in such a way that we feel it's smaller than it would normally be does that make mm -hmm. sense yep yeah um, i can't think of the actual description at the moment but it it yeah it doesn't seem like it's um alpha male dragon here to destroy that kind of thing <laughs> right yeah but they finally do make it past the dragon with the unfortunate clankers, which is really effing terrible. And they get to the vault, and it made me realize that really all they needed from Bogrod was his hand. And, you know, yeah. if they were meaner people, they might have just taken the hand. If they were actually <laughs> Bellatrix, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, one less body to worry about, I suppose. But they but make like, it into the vault. Could they have done some, like... Um... I don't know, James Bondish thing where it's like, okay, we'll just take your your palm and handprint. Like, do you actually need the whole person or goblin in this case? I guess it depends on how sensitive the magic is. Like, if it has to be a living hand, then they definitely need the whole goblin. Right. Right. That's true. That's true. But they finally do make it inside the vault with the living hand or not, either way. And, of course, it's full of stuff. Full of stuff. And we get a couple new curses here that I really wanted to talk about. So the first one is um, Gemino, I assume. That's how you would say it. Which is the multiplication curse, which makes sense, you know, because Gemini, twins, multiplication, whatever. And I always wondered about how they discern which one is the real item. Um, well, actually, I looked up on the wiki about um, Gemino and... I think it's the same um, charm, spell, whatever you want to call it, that Hermione uses um, it on is. the locket. Yeah. Um, which is interesting to me because you can use it then to just replicate one thing 
or to infinitely replicate something. So it has like multiple uses, which I don't or, think many spells Or it's have. some, it's like a, um, what's the word? Like a chain spell where it, the first object has the curse on it and it duplicates and then that curse, that one gets a curse on it and it duplicates. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you touch the same object several times, it would only trigger once. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it goes more than once. I don't know. Just pontificating, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. But how would you know which one's the real one? Like, if they dropped that cup, are they going to take 50 cups with them? Whichever one makes Harry's spider senses tingle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, But on the wiki... Um, I don't I don't know where this information came from because I don't remember reading it on Pottermore, but the wiki is generally accurate. Um, but it says that the way that you tell between the original object and the duplicated objects is that the duplicated objects will rot or tarnish more quickly than the original. So eventually you can identify it, but obviously if it's like brass or gold or something, it'd take a really yeah. long time for that. But that's how they um decided to make to um clarify that the copies have no value yeah so harry just got incredibly lucky that he didn't take his eyes off it i guess right (laughs) the whole the whole chapter is all luck it is luck harry potter's life is luck let's be real so do the items eventually i guess i don't know where that info on the wiki came from either but i assume that that means that the items eventually just rot and go away and disappear yeah um presumably whoever did the gemino charm can reverse it so that the oh that's duplicates true. would disappear yeah that's what it says it says like um that's the way that they use um it's called it's called the doubling charm a bunch so that's also um a word for it but they they say um that's how it's used as like crushing or trapping um trespassers because only the person who casts a spell can stop it. So then it could just go on and on and on until it crushes people, like as in this case. I find it odd that that's seemingly the only use for this curse, but... No, it's just one of the uses. But they say... um, Because it... Like, there's so much information on this curse, and I should have looked at the... um, sources because i was like where are they getting this from <laughs> but um oh the wonder book it's from the wonder book, it's book of uh, okay so you got to take it with a grain of salt to see you know is it canon or is it not right um because purportedly that's written by joe but who really knows because yeah, it, it really has was. a whole like history on how the um charm was um invented by a pair of twin witches and i'm not surprised their names if Michael were here, this would have all been in the episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, I was like, whoa, I'm glad I looked this up because there's so much on it. And it was like, um, they, so apparently they created this charm because they lived in a mansion together and they just created two of everything. So <laughs> they, and they uh, were very reclusive. And so that only after their deaths, their relatives found out about this uh, spell. Huh. Fair enough. All right. Well, does the wiki have anything on the other one, the flagrant curse, the one which causes items to apparently burn the protruder um, or the intruder? I mean, 
there must be some sort i mean the thing is i know that these are curses and not charms but there must be some person that uses them more often than just to trap people or hurt them like everything in here harry eventually says that it's so hot it feels like an oven i don't know maybe you use the flagrant curse as a source of heat right there has to be a practical use yeah it doesn't have the wiki doesn't have as much information on this um but it does say that it comes from the latin word flagro meaning i burn so that makes not sense. surprised joe knows her latin <laughs> mm-hmm. that um, indeed she does it mostly just talks about this chapter only because i oh. think this is the only time we see it it is yeah and it's not surprising because this is pretty evil and basically, uh, you know, Bellatrix is saying that I'm going to drown you in fake gold and I'm going to burn your skin off. Right. And, happy, um, happy, happy. Yeah, she's brilliant. <laughs> she's great. That was sarcasm for the record. <laughs> um, we do see a couple other spells here. There's lots of spell work going on in this vault. The next one is Levy Corpus. And Harry's like, gee, thanks, Dad. This spell was handy <laughs> after all. <laughs> you know, I just it harkens back to that time when he used it on Ron and he was you know, woke him up by floating him through the air. So, yeah. thanks, James Potter. That part always makes me laugh because, like, really, there's no other way to do it except for hoisting you up by your ankle. <laughs> like, that's the only way you can think. I, I mean, when Guardian Leviosa, I'm not sure works on people, right? So. That's true. I don't know. I feel like they could have put their brains together. I guess they're really under pressure at this point. And, like, they are. Because they can hear the people outside the door. Yeah. With the yeah. keys and everything. So, But then it goes on to say that Hermione casts impervious on herself and Ron and the goblins to try and protect them from the burning metal. And mm-hmm. I understand that it worked before on Harry's glasses. But would this really work on flesh? Yeah, it said that in the wiki too. Let me go back to that. Um... Well, to be impervious to something is to not allow, not to be affected by it. So anything that's impervious can't be affected by something so it would make sense that it would be a majorly protective spell but that seems like if you can just go around casting impervious on your body every day everything yeah (laughs) i mean maybe that's why there aren't really a whole lot of people um with quote disabilities in the wizarding world because they're just everybody's impervious But then you'd be yeah, impervious says to, like, in the wiki is, um, offer some degree of shielding. Yeah. So. So it's probably, it would probably wear off after a while as well. Like, if they stayed in the, in the cursed items, like, they would start burning again. So it's mm-hmm. probably got a time limit and, like, a, um, you know, like on, on video games when you've got the kind of shield effect that always yeah. seems to run down, it's going to have that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It's because like I, I mean, I think that there's clear proof that it doesn't really work because eventually yeah. Grip Hook is sunk. He's sunk out of view, mm-hmm. and he's basically screaming because he pretty much has third degree burns. You know. Yep. Pretty yeah. much, and is slowly, slowly dying. Yet somehow he manages to grab the sword keeps it out of Harry's reach while on top of Harry's shoulders to keep himself from getting burned. I mean, he's a jerk. He's showing he's his real goblin colors here. And this whole time that Harry is quite literally burning his flesh to keep a hold of the cup, which he has finally got by using the sword because the sword doesn't make anything duplicate. So 
they you know well, he and, finally and has also, it. Also, the the book says that Harry grabs Griphook's fingers and pulls, and so he's like saving him from being burned. And what does he do? He grabs on his hair and pulls, and it's like, <laughs> you major jerk. <laughs> just got saved. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a jerk. He's a bit yeah. of a jerk. But yeah. they finally have the cup, and I feel like Harry's going to permanently forever have a pattern of the badger in his palm <laughs> of his hand, you know. Burned in there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's been branded for life. But they finally get it, and they Harry turns around to find that Griphook and Bogorod have opened the door, and they are escaping from the vault. They're leaving. And Griphook goes running out, yelling, thieves, thieves, help, thieves. And uh, I'm just kind of speechless because oh, that's yeah. so mean. And does he have any cred anymore at all? At yeah. Gringotts because he when they go in he says that they need Bogrod because he doesn't have the ability to use the carts anymore. So why would anybody believe him? I think the fact that he's a goblin just kind of trumps everything. It's like I oh guess. there's one of our own. Yeah, I don't know. He's just kind of proven that he's untrustworthy in my opinion. I think. Yeah, I think he would still be mistrusted by the goblins, but he's going to be trusted more than the people who have obviously just broken into the vault. Um, like that, he he is still an an ex colleague. He's still a goblin. He's still got you know the the that he knows how the bank works. He knows all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. He would probably be arrested. He would probably still be targeted as a thief, but he is more likely to get off lightly than Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Well, and he didn't leave Gringotts, like, because of the other goblins. He left because, I think he says he left because the wizards were taking over. So it's not like they left, he, he left them on bad terms, like, that yeah. with the other goblins. Yeah. So Wouldn't that be abandonment? Huh? What? Wouldn't that be abandonment? Mm, I don't think they're conscripted. They're allowed to leave. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose. I mean, I think just because the the goblins aren't on anybody's side, I feel like Griphook leaving, they would see that as maybe a cowardly, a cowardly thing to do. It depends on how much power Griphook had in the first place. Whether he left in disgrace because he was acting out against those that were working there, um, or whether he literally just walked away because he was he didn't like what think what was going on. I always saw him as leaving in disgrace for some reason. Um, something about the way he and um, there was another goblin with him. It wasn't there originally. Yeah, he he was murdered. Yeah, um, right. That's what I thought too, and that's why I was so curious as to why he would be acting uh, the way yeah. he is. I think you know there's there's got to be some kind of backstory. There's there's got to be some reason why these two particular goblins left the bank, um, and if you know, Snape asked. Bellatrix to hide the sword and that kind of influence that's happening already at Gringotts and, and there were um, there were things that were Death Eater in kind of not controlled but implemented that the goblins wouldn't necessarily believe in you know then they would 
act out or they would perhaps try and 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 work against it in some way um and maybe if it's a case of you know the people who put the things into bellatrix's vault such as the sword such as the the cup itself are then at risk of being targeted because they know that they're there they would go and hide so if that's how griphook knows about these things in the vault perhaps that's the reason he left yeah, because it says he was the one who took the sword. Yeah. So he's yeah. trying to protect his own interests. He's trying to protect himself from potential risk of, you know, someone targeting him because he was the one that did it. Right. Backlash. Right. But in terms of him just yelling thieves, you know, he's he's not been left... He, like, the other goblins won't think badly of him just because he's not working there anymore. He's still their race. He's still... Mm-hmm. you know goblin pride all of that kind of thing i did have a, a point too about him sliding back easily with like the pack of goblins mm-hmm. what if they had been discovered i mean they kind of were but like definitely discovered in the hall um in the main entrance of of uh, gringotts and grip Huck was seen to be definitely with harry ron and hermione um do you think that other goblins would have been like oh, okay, you definitely betrayed us. Because he kind of is very lucky that he can easily slide, you know, from uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione to the other goblins. Because if he was found in any other position, I think he would have been, like, definitely treated as a traitor. For sure. I think he would always be able to say that he was in it for the sword. Um, okay, he, yeah. was, he, he could always spin it to be... That's true. ...betraying them in order to get back goblin goods. Sneaky little git, as Ron would say. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) He's horrible. But, I mean, that's it, really. Griphook runs off and gets away, and they escape the vault, and Harry's like, hey, guys, this is a dragon. It's cool. Let's just ride it. Let's just leave. So they make a path. Hermione starts it off, and Ron and Harry finish, and the dragon escapes, and they ride it off seemingly into the sunset. Nice romantic ending of the chapter. There's not a whole yeah, lot dragon. to the escape. In the movie, there's a whole lot to the escape, and it's very yeah. dramatic, and there's fire and all this other stuff. Um, obviously, there's fire here, but... Um, They're still riding a dragon. They are still riding a dragon, sure. <laughs> Which is pretty gosh darn cool. <laughs> so, uh, that's it. That's chapter 26, Gringotts. It's done. The cup is ours. So aside from the dragon, Gringotts hasn't seemed to be quite as scary as was originally suggested. When Harry was a little boy and went there for the very first time, it seemed to be this completely impervious place. You would not be able to get in there. If you did, you would be locked inside forever. Um, It's not somewhere you wanted to try and break into. And yet here we are, and to be fair, it kind of goes really easy. Um, Gringotts security is meant to be renowned and feared, and yet what we experience does not seem terrible at all. So our podcast question of the week this week is how exactly is the thief's downfall supposed to be dangerous? Is the biggest danger really just being locked in a seldom visited vault? The curses in the vault the strange appear to have come from Bellatrix herself. So why is Gringotts considered to be the safest place in the wizarding world outside of Hogwarts, of course? We want to know your theories, we want to know your ideas, so please do go on to our website, alohamora.mogonet.com, click on our podcast question of the week link, and come and answer our question. 
So we want to take a moment and thank you both Rebecca and Charlotte for being here today. We really appreciate um, Charlotte, you stepping in and Rebecca, you joining us, you know, for this awesome episode. Thank you. It's been amazing. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And of course, if you guys want to be on the show, we still have spots available uh, right from now, right to the end of the book. So please do um, submit your applications to the Be On The Show page at alohamora.mogonet.com. All you need is a set of headphones with a microphone. You know, Apple headphones will do. No other fancy equipment needed, just you and an internet connection. And if you want to contact us, there are heaps of places that you can do that. On Twitter, we're at alohamoramn facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore on Tumblr we're MN Alohomora podcast we're Alohomora MN on Instagram and on the internet generally we're alohomora.mugglenet.com and if you go there you can download a ringtone for free or you can send us an owl to audioboom alohomora.mugglenet.com it's free but please keep it to under 60 seconds or we'll be here all night <laughs> and as you guys all know we've also got our store we've got some fabulous goodies on there um, so do go and check it out buy all of your um, fun things for the summer Just stock up already flip flops they're available <laughs> it's almost flip flop time it is for it Charlotte is. now right Yeah. It's, de- it's the middle of summer it's perfect flip flop weather but we call them jandals jandals oh. so go get your jandals in the Aloha I will. store <laughs> And don't, guys, don't forget about our smartphone app. You can download it for free. Just search for the podcast source in your phone's app store, and it'll be there. It includes things like bloopers, alternate endings, transcripts, vlogs, tons of other things. So definitely go check it out. So we hope that you guys have enjoyed our show today. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Charlotte Graham. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 177 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. But just when he says crude, right, it makes you think, oh, wow, that's like going <laughs> up your, anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you guys, do you not have the other meaning of crude, which just means like roughly made? No, obviously yeah, we, we do. Yes. But that, when that, something that is called a probe <laughs> and then somebody says yeah. the word crude, there, there yeah. is a, an implied, you know. Is that? Okay. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's the probe and crude, you're absolutely right. It's like, by the end of that sentence, you're thinking about, like, the check that you would get if you were going into prison. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. It's true. See, I have, I have never read that as being that dodgy before. I wonder if it's a British thing. Possibly. And we'll just the idea of probing Brits. not always being that, that intrusive. <laughs> um Listeners, tell us how you read that, please. We're very curious if you have dirty minds or not, like all of us but Rosie.